Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics podcast and part two of our year-end series on 2021's most impactful athletes. Um, I am joined. So in part one, we had Tom Smith joining us for the countdown as we went 10 through six. Today, I'm joined by Manish Tripathi. How are you today, Manish? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Okay, Manish. So for those that do not know, Manish is a, I don't know, an, an Emory Goizueta alumni in a way. So Manish was on the marketing faculty for what? Six, seven years, Manish? About right? Yeah. Yeah. I think actually eight years. It was uh, 2008, 2016. And Manish is, you know, Manish is, has a long history with the Marketing Analytics Center and with uh, the sports programming. Though, Manish, I'm actually toying with the world, the word, the phrase of cultural analytics for what we do. I don't know what you think about that. I, I, I think there is, uh, you know, we can get into this, but I think. Put a little TM next to that, please. Yeah, no, I like it because if you think about uh, this confluence of sports and entertainment uh, and social media, a lot of it, I would add, you know, in some ways is really culture, right? And a lot of what we, a lot of what we look at these days, and even as what we call sports, it's really entertainment. And a lot of it, especially as folks have more and more of a voice becomes part of culture. So I think like uh, that kind of uh, umbrella branding, I I like it. Uh, Has anyone, is anyone using that yet? Or is that something you're going to trademark? First time I've said it. Okay. The other thing to note is that Manish was at the very beginning of the the sports content and the sports programming at Emory. We co-taught a number of classes for a number of years on sports analytics and sports marketing. Manish was always the classier element of the two, as you can tell from the use of the word confluence. Uh, Manish (laughs) is a Stanford grad. And, you know, it's always how much of a Manish is an old friend, so we won't go through the entire bio, but Manish has a has a very impressive background with degrees from Stanford, a PhD from Northwestern, time on the faculty at Emory, and now pretty successful in the technology sector. Okay, so Manish, to, to get into this, and I'll, I'll, let me give a real quick recap of positions 10 through 6. And, you know, based on what we're talking about, what I'm about to say is going to come in very obvious. This list is a little bit different than you might see for most top 10 athletes. And that we're not talking about on-field performance. We're talking about cultural impact. So we're talking about impact on the market, on the culture, sort of the, the broader, these guys have meaning for the world beyond, for the world of sports and beyond. So Manisha, number 10, we had Megan Rapino, and I put her down, I listed her in shorthand as a sort of progressive endorser right? So someone that has a unique political positioning and has really kind of been able to, to cash in a lot of marketing power. At number nine, I had Justin Fields and I thought I was going to get more pushback from Tom Smith. He let it kind of go. It's well, he, he's a Chicago guy too, Mike. Yeah. That's why, that's why I let it go. Professor Lewis. I feel like that's a, that's yeah. a crazy one. I mean, that, that <laughs> crazy. Has he, won, has he won a game? I, can, well, I know it's about cultural influence, but like, uh, uh, I, I was unclear to me if he'd actually done anything in his career yet. He's so. uh, well, and that, that's the thing: massive positive media coverage as the 32nd ranked passer in the league, who's probably about to get his head coach fired. Mm-hmm. At number at number eight, I had Kyrie Irving, 
who I listed as the canceled activist and independent thinker. So in a world where cancel culture is a very weird thing, a guy that says what's on his mind, it's like his days were numbered. He, he sort of was a hero of the dominant culture until very recently. Uh, how, how, do you, how, how do you feel about having a, a, a Duke uh, basketball player on that list, Michael? I feel like that's, uh, I don't know, that must, that must uh, bother you a little bit, right? Or I, You know, with the, the conversation with Tom Smith went into a, the direction of talking a little bit about flat earth theory. So I'm a big <laughs> Kyrie fan. <laughs> okay, uh, at number seven on the list, I had Shaquille O'Neal for post-career impact. And also because in some ways, I think he is just about the last athlete who seems to be having fun and enjoying his position in the world. I think that's a fair point. They definitely, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, Charles Barkley, well, what Charles Barkley was, but then he seems like he wasn't for a while. Now he might be again. It's unclear. Charles Barkley could easily have been 7A on that. Um, At number six, I had LeBron James, who I described as the NBA's brand manager. So in this era of athlete empowerment, I don't think there's another athlete. Look, I I think LeBron is the dominant athlete from a cultural perspective that we have right now. And he is someone that has an amazing amount of influence over how the NBA goes to market. I will add, it's amazing. I know you probably discussed this, but how polarizing he can be like, I feel like uh, if there's a, if you want a little litmus test, like put something that LeBron said or post it and just see the comments. Like it is a, a dividing or there's the people like it's a, it's a, it's along a few different dimensions that you might be able to guess, but it's, it's amazing how polarizing of a figure he is. Well, and, you know, I had a conversation with someone at the wall street journal recently, and she said that Megan Rapino was the most polarizing athlete, but I think, you know, it's very true that there's, there's a lot of polarizing athletes and LeBron yeah, is yeah. definitely one of them. And, and you, I almost put him into the left sort of the left camp and the right camp. And he's definitely one of the, one of the mainstays. Yeah. But I think, I think the difference between him and, and, and uh, Megan Rapinoe might be a bit of the, you know, just the sheer amount of us. So they, she might be more polarizing, but the amount of people who tune into what LeBron says mm-hmm. is greater in my opinion. Right. LeBron has 104, ended up looking this up 104 or 105 million Instagram followers. So LeBron has a bigger audience than, than the Super Bowl, perhaps. You know, I mean, so you're right. He is, he's got a platform on top of everything else. Okay, so Manish, you've seen the rest of the list. And so before we get into the, the final countdown, I'll give you an opportunity to tell me who I, and look, as we go through these, these final five, you have the opportunity to push back on me, tell me I'm full of it, amplify, diminish, whatever you want to do. But besides that, who did I miss in terms of this list? Well, I think one look, lists are always tough because you're always someone will always say you miss someone or disagree with someone who's on the list. So, uh, so I would I want to start by saying overall, I think uh, I like what you did with the list. It's it, I like the list. The one person who I thought has a really big cultural uh, has a big cultural impact, has a big following, has made has made very interesting statements in a lot of different dimensions. Um, has a movie that just came out about her family recently starring Will Smith. I, I would say Serena Williams is someone that I could see being on this list that's not. 
right? Um, again, it's all debatable, right? Uh, but I, I would think that Serena's someone who I think she, um, like uh, on women, the sort of the stuff she's done with respect to women and women's health and pregnancy related type stuff, right? Uh, I mean, she's been a lightning rod for fashion going back to like what, 15, 16 years ago. So it's been in the eye for a long time, most of her career, and seems to always sort of have uh, make statements that, that both both politically uh, that are and culturally that are significant. She's obviously a big fashion icon uh, as well, right? Has done a lot through Nike and that brand. So I just think that's someone that uh, could have made this list. But I, but again, I don't have a strong criticism of the list. And I agree with you on Serena Williams, and and I think maybe the nature of this list where it's about sort of different elements of the culture, sort of the interplay with the media or the interplay with activism or sort of being an all-time great. I felt like Serena fits into multiple categories, but I ended up with better exemplars for each of those categories, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I went back and forth on that one on that one quite a bit. No, that's fair. And that's okay. why I said, I feel like the list is well thought out. So I don't want to give you too much grief. You know, normally I like to, but I, I don't feel like... Uh, feel like it's deserved in this case. You should feel free as much free. <laughs> okay, so at number five, and remember number six on this list was LeBron James. So number five in some ways was inevitable and had to be Michael Jordan, always one step ahead of LeBron James. Now, look, Jordan's been retired about 15 years, I think, at, at this point. He's he's still actively involved. In wait, do, 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 do we count his time with the Wizards as being him playing professional basketball, or okay, should we well, just say so, retired in '98? So yeah, so he retired after the third championship, but uh, <laughs> the last year. But but Jordan continues to resonate, right? We had the Last Dance in 2020. He's he owns a basketball team. He's in the news dealing with um, the Ball family uh, in, in the last week. <laughs> That's right. Uh, now the other thing that came into play for this is and I've talked about it on the podcast, ran a survey called the next generation survey of fandom across all age groups and Michael Jordan. And and I don't think, I don't think this is going to surprise anyone. Michael Jordan ended up having the highest rated fandom across all generations, 15 years retired. So he is, when people think of athletes and who they are fans of, he's still number one. His shoe is still number one. He like you can almost argue that he had some of the most compelling sports programming of last year in terms of that documentary. So he continues to be the exemplar for how to build a sports brand that everything else follows on. And so in some ways, I could never put LeBron in front of Michael Jordan because I feel like LeBron is executing the Jordan game plan, even including making sequels that don't need to be made. Well, let me ask you. Well, I'll push back on that a little bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a thought experiment at you. If Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan today, right? Not in in your heyday of the the 80s and 90s, in my heyday of the 90s. Uh, if instead we were, uh, you know, he was he was sort of doing what he is today. Do you think he'd be someone that would be a bit more like? Would would let me put it this way? Would Michael Jordan be active on social media? Uh, as a you know, because the, the reason, because one of the things I talked about, and, and I agree with you, I think Michael Jordan does a great job of of his brand, but he's famously known for his, like you know, not having any political balls at all, right? Like the man doesn't make any Republicans buy sneakers too, right? Like very, I feel like recently he's been uh, 
pushed perhaps by folks to be a little more uh, active in that arena and making statements, you know, around voting or whatever it might be. But like, he's famously almost purposely kept his brand away from anything controversial, right? Like, and so I'm wondering, like, in today's world, could that kind of Michael Jordan have, could could Michael Jordan have followed that game plan today that he did in the 80s and been like, would that even work, right? I I think the quick answer is no, right? It's, People exist for the most part in the time that they and they that they live in. And I think an athlete coming out and saying Republicans, Trump voters is how they would say it now, right? Yeah. Trump voters buy sneakers too would generate a firestorm. And, and so I, I don't I don't think he could. Um yeah. which and I actually used that Republicans buy sneakers too quote in something I was writing actually earlier today. That, yeah, I think I think you're dead on that people have to re and look, sports influences the culture, the culture influences sports. Yeah. They're they're not independent. And, and, and let me and, and I guess and one more like what do you what do you think Michael Jordan stands for? So like you know, I know people think of him as across like like what is his identity? Is it just excellence? Right? That's like the fact that like here is someone who just dominated at his sport, right? And then as of course dominated in terms of media and, and fashion and all those things too, and really showing how to take that money and, and multiply it and have, have a lot of power. But like, when I say the brand Michael Jordan, what is the identifying element of it, right? Like, is, is it just excellence? I, I, I don't know what else Michael Jordan stands for. I, I would say it's excellence with a little bit of kind of amusing, and maybe not amusing if you had to be on the team or an opponent, but that ultra cutthroat personality, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but look, I think this is an interesting conversation because, and I don't want to read into what you're saying. Is it okay to have your brand just be about excellence? Are you looking for something that he's got to be like, well, yeah, to advocate for something? Well, no, but, but but I think I think it's, so. Roger Federer, right? Maybe that's things like tennis. Is, like I don't like I don't know. I'll be fair. Like I'm not a big tennis person. I don't. So I'll, I'll claim my ignorance here a little bit. But I, I kind of see him a little bit similar to Jordan. Maybe I think he's actually on the same brand too, right? Perhaps. But like he he's someone who just I, I think of. You ask me what Federer stands for, and I'll say excellence as well. Right? Like a sustained period of excellence. I couldn't tell you what Federer thinks about anything, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so perhaps it is possible. Uh, but again, Federer started. His, his run a while back, right? So I'm wondering, I'm trying to think of someone who's like become good in the last couple of years, right? That we really just think about because they're awesome and they're really, it's excellence and nothing else. It's not their personality or like some views they have or their Instagram photos they take, right? Where And, and I don't know, maybe that's to your point, maybe it's not possible starting today, right? Okay. It, that is a nice segue to number four on the list, okay? And before I get into number four. The other thing I want to add about Michael Jordan in terms of his lasting impact is he actually even affects things in terms of, you know what, Doug, why don't you cap? I don't like where I was going. Doug, cancel out some of that. Okay. So before we move on to, so I think that's a good place to move on to number four on our list and sort of this, this discussion about excellence. And also this goes back to some of the earlier points about Serena Williams as you know, the, this greatest of all time type athlete. So number four on this list and to the last point about Michael Jordan, of, is it okay to be an athlete that is just known for excellence? Number four on the list, I've got Tom Brady. Okay. At age 44, leading the NFL in certain passing statistics, 
the Bucks look like a they've got a reasonable shot at, at going doing another deep run in the playoffs. Going back to your your point, I don't know what Tom Brady stands for. Tom Brady, I yeah. think, is famously friends with with Trump, so I think there's some Republican leaning, but I think he's really distanced himself from that. Yeah. As, the controversies heated up over the last years. So Tom Brady to me is sort of like this traditional old school, all American sports star with the model wife, the all time records, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I take about, you're right. That is actually, wow. That's an excellent point. I think Tom Brady absolutely does. And I think actually even more so in years, uh, and maybe you've sort of have seen this as well. I would argue that when Brady's brand was attached to the Patriots, right. The Patriots have this, for, I think this happens with any team that wins a lot. So I don't, you know, there's certain people I feel this way about the Yankees and other people who feel this way about other teams that have been successful in the past. No one feels about this way about the University of Illinois, I'm sure. But but in general, uh, there is, sorry, I'd take a shot. I'd take a shot. But, 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 but there is this like, you know, when he was playing with the Patriots, I think, yes, he was, he, his brand might have been excellent, but like, or excellence on the field, right? Just great performance. But there was, you're attached to like the Bill Belichick, that evil empire, the, the whatever, deflate gate, spy gate, name it gate, right? And so some of that, like, you, with Brady was cast a little bit more like, yes, he's excellent, but also for some people, just like a bad guy, right? Right. Because he's sort of the face of this franchise that people have strong opinions on. I think in some ways, him moving to the Buccaneers, which I'll argue kind of, there's no real brand there, right? I don't know what the Buccaneers is like. Yeah, it's just, it's. I don't think it evoked strong emotion, or at least didn't when he moved there uh, at the time, right? The fact that he's shown that he can win without and not being associated with the Patriots, I think really has made people focus more on like his regimen and his excellence and the things you're pointing about and less about like, you know, oh, he's part of that machine, evil machinery that goes up in, in Foxborough, right? So I, th- I think I agree with you. And I think like actually going to the, the Bucks has made that even more prevalent than it was before. So separating from Bill Belichick, this yep. curmudgeonly guy with the hoodie on. Yes. Is- amplified the tom brady brand yeah and and i mean and then you know from a classic identification standpoint right the fact that he wins without him also has shown that it's not it really is more the brady excellence right that is is perhaps the fuel and again i don't know if that's true or not but the perception of that right over time we attribute more of that excellence to tom brady than we do to the overall patriots organization well and i think i'll throw something else out there and you tell me if i'm off one of the things we've seen in the NBA over the last few years is this, I'll call it sort of a athlete empowerment has got to be a theme in almost this entire list of athletes having more power. And in the NBA, obviously we, we saw this structure going back to LeBron and his super team in Miami, it, you know, to all the way to, you know, Durant and Kyrie Irving forming a team in Brooklyn that was well, Brady. What, about, what about what about what about Moses Malone joining Dr. J in Philadelphia? If you want to go well, further. but I just think it's a different era in terms of how much the players were able to do with that essentially on their own. Like, yeah, it's almost like if we were the two best players in the NBA, we could almost call each other up and say, hey, let's go play in Memphis. Yeah. Right. And so Brady also has brought a little of that to the NFL, I would argue, in terms of, you know, moving down you know, going down to Tampa, which again, sort of seems a little bit strange, getting his friend Gronk out of retirement, making sure that that team signed Antonio Brown. This is, this is the closest thing to that in outside of the NBA. That's a, that's a, you know, I, I think it's a really good point, right? It's like, Hey, I'm, 
I'm a known quantity. I've, I've, I'm going down to Tampa. I've shown this can work. And now it's it's kind of like a, it's a it's more of an organic thing. My, my beloved Washington football team franchise tried to do this more straight through the ownership back in like the early 2000s, where I think the owner just went and picked up everyone who was good like 10 years before and forced them onto the team. Uh, this one is, I think, it's interesting. It's like an organic people who some people might think be troubled or past their prime, uh, bringing them into Tampa. No, I, I think that's a great analogy. That's a, I hadn't even thought about it. That's a really good point. Okay. Now, and so Tom Brady was the other one there where I saw some overlap with Serena as Serena is generally regard. I, you know, I haven't thought this all the way through, but I think you can make an argument that Serena occupies the same place that Brady does on the male side of the ledger on the female side of the ledger in terms of being the sort of the all-time great that's currently still out there functioning. Yeah, uh, it's a totally fair point. Um, and, uh, and look, I think they appear together in the subway ads at the moment. Oh, they do? <laughs> uh, I try not to watch any commercials as much as possible. I even watch my sports on tape delay now, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, you know, it, that like I, I would encourage you to almost look for that subway ad, and I, I had not thought it through until this exact moment, but that, that subway ad, ad campaign includes about half the athletes on this list, Megan Rapinoe, <laughs> Tom Brady, uh, and some of the, some of the next group in of Charles Barkley, Serena Williams. Huh. So, so they already might know about this cultural phenomenon that you're trying to claim. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, it's a little bit of an aside. I tend to think it's like sort of what subway's done is almost misbegotten, right? Where, I don't know that you want to put all those, they, they might all have a lot of appeal to different segments. I don't think you want to put them together. That's you a good know, point. You, you got Tom you Brady think- sort of who might appeal to a older Republican base. And then you throw in Megan Rapinoe. It's I'm not sure that that yeah, works. No, I think they need to have, you're right. It should be just each commercial should just be with one athlete and do some very targeted advertising with those, right? Like I agree. But Barkley can be in all of them, right? Because he's That's universally true. loved. That's true. <laughs> okay. Okay. Manish, at number three, <coughs> Manish, at number three, I had two names and I don't like to put these, I don't want to do A and B, but I didn't know how to separate I wanted one of these names and I couldn't figure out which one to leave out. So I have Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. So a tennis player who was, I think, widely regarded as sort of the next great, next great tennis star. And then the all time, again, sort of this goat theme is, does reappear on this list. The all time great female gymnast, Simone Biles. So both ladies over the course of the year have had issues related to, I don't want to say it's mental illness, but they have taken a step back from their sports to take care of themselves and their emotional and their emotional needs. And so, you know, with Osaka, it started with not wanting to do, to deal with the press with Biles. It was dropping out of some of the Olympic competition. This phenomena, the, the interesting thing about, these two folks is that outside of let's say Twitter trolls, these actions generated almost universal praise. Folks were very supportive of it. We were tracking uh, Instagram followers during the Olympics to see the consequences of winning a medal for, for a different project. Simone Biles gained, I think, 2 million Instagram followers when she dropped out. 
the woman that replaced her and won the gold, Sunny Lee, gained a million followers. So this action, this move towards self-care, an overused term in 2021, <laughs> has actually been a positive for their brands. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, look, there, there, there is a, there's a, the commonality between the two really are around, I think, mental health and self-care, right? So I can see why they're grouped in that and actually really taking a, a, a strong stand, right? Like withdrawing from tournaments or withdrawing from the Olympics and showing that's not just the, it, it's actions that sort of back up those thoughts and words. I think with, uh, with uh, Simone Biles, it's, uh, it's, it's even more than that, right? So some of the stuff that she's done on the treatment of gymnasts uh, in, in sort of the larger uh, sexual abuse uh, uh, scandal, right? Uh, I think there her leadership is all, and in fact, it's manifested. I think I saw that she's like the time person of the year, right? I don't know if that's still right. a thing or not, but like she wasn't the sports illustrated person of the year, which I think would have been Tom Brady, but she was the the time, which it sort of shows like the even larger cultural. I think she's on multiple, I think she's on multiple magazine covers, sort of the covers of the magazines at the grocery store checkout. Cause I want to say she's on the cover of People Magazine as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I will say um, that, especially the Simone Biles story, but that, I remember we were watching, well, actually, let me be clear. I don't really watch the Olympics, but my wife watches the the gymnastics. And one thing she brought up, and I never thought about this, and maybe you remember this. Do you remember 1996? Uh, was it her name? Carrie Strug, right? Yeah, with the, the broken but, leg. Remember we made a big deal about that? And like, well, there's a few things. Like looking back at it, one, she didn't actually even need to make the jump, right? And so she, like, it's something she needed to do. She put herself in considerable physical risk, right, for doing it. And like, if you think about like, like well, who's the gymnast? Just do it. Like, what's the guy, guy's name? Bella, whatever, you know, the crazy Romanian dude, right? It's like, it makes you think, like, why, like, was that the right thing to do with kids? Like, I mean, like when she says like, at first it's like, wow, this is like, why did we, like, why do we as a country think like that's like her actions of like jumping on something where she didn't have to and gutting it out uh, for something meaningless. It wasn't even the goal at the time. I know they played it out like that later. Why is that like? Should that be more important than like you know her physical well being and her mental health? Of course not, right? And so I think like uh, to me at least personally, she helped challenge like what she was saying. I'm like, yeah, like yeah, of course the athlete's more important and there's and their mental health is more important. Like why? Like and to your, I think it's it's really refreshing to hear that like that's sort of the overall reaction because I think if you just looked at Twitter or the trolls you would think that she had, you know, defecated on the American flag by doing what she did, right? So I think like, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm a little punchy today, Lewis. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I, so I think between the two, I think Biles probably occupies a, a probably a greater position, but I see how, why you lump them together because that area of mental health, they both sort of made very uh, impactful stance, I would well, say. Well, the, the timing also influenced it where Osaka, I think, had the issue with the press before the Olympics and then dropped out of a tournament after the Olympics. So it, yeah. the, the, you know, just the, you know, especially as I'm looking at this as influence on the culture, I want to play a, pay a little deference to what happened first. You, you know, what you're talking about is interesting to me though, because this discussion about, of course, the athlete's health and well-being are more important than the competition. Because I think it really identifies a generational, a generational yeah. divide. I would struggle. I mean, just putting myself in that position of Carrie Strug and having to do a vault with a broken leg. I'm going to do the vault with the broken leg. I mean, maybe it's a lack of sense. 
Um, but maybe it's just a difference in, and again, I'm not going to, we won't indulge in any kind of silly, uh, what do they say? Okay. Boomer versus okay. Snowflake yeah, yeah, kind of stuff, but just, just a fundamental difference. Yeah. I think, look, even in general, what's, what, here's, what's interesting, even what we're doing engaged in right now, right. We're looking at individuals and talking about their cultural, uh, impact, right? Like, and maybe if we did this exercise 20 years ago, we'd be talking about the Steelers and the Cowboys and teams and or like and the USSR hockey team, right? Like, and I think it's a general more arc of. Teams <laughs> okay. right? Sorry, Manish, the USA hockey team versus uh, the Russians was 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, as you know, when you get old, the timings all start to you know yeah. like mesh together. But my point is like, there's this general arc from the collective, the team towards more of the individual, right? In general, like, and so I think that's partly reflective. That statement's reflective of that too, right? It's like, yeah, it, it's more, it's, and again, I'm not trying to put, uh, say one is better or worse than the other. So I'm not trying to put the attribution of like value, <laughs> right? But but I think like, uh, you know, but maybe you could argue that like 30 years ago, if you knew more about the sort of business of sports and I get like, and, and what, like who is going to benefit from you jumping and potentially injuring yourself more. Maybe you would have thought differently, right. With more information unclear. No, a hundred percent. Right. And, and that statement is a, is a great one, right. You know, if, if we add Osaka and Biles just to the, again, this issue of athlete empowerment, which has got to be a real theme for this list. I don't have anyone on the, you know, I don't have anyone that really kind of fits what I'm about to say, but I think those two ladies kind of do. They're kind of in the right direction. This idea of who actually values that athlete's brand, is that athlete's brand being exploited or should that athlete save themselves so that they can do something? And look, we're in the point of the year is it's November 15th, or sorry, December 15th as we tape this. (laughs) that we're about to see, and I suspect it's already happened, where a lot of college football players have probably stopped playing because there's no reason to play an exhibition bowl game when they can yeah. protect their body and get ready for the NFL draft. But, but here's – oh, sorry, good. I think, I was gonna no, add, I'm I think, just saying a different kind of self-care in a way. But, but, but here's the funny thing, right? Just to see how fast things are moving, I remember – and again, everything always comes back to Stanford in some ways. Christian McCaffrey did this, like I think it was, what, six years ago? And it was a big deal. He got a, there was a lot of attention. It's like, oh, I know. Again, it wasn't for the national championship. Obviously, the Stanford is playing right. It was for some some you know six and six type bowl probably right uh, or maybe better than that. But he he and when he did it, there was social. Now athletes are doing it left and right, and it's not as big of a deal. And it hasn't that much time hasn't passed. So not only is it happening, but the I think the acceptance of like, hey, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. You don't want to play in the. Uh, Pool and weed eater independence. I know that's not there anymore. The the Shreveport one, right? But you don't want to play in the such and such bowl because yeah, yeah like you know, it's like what what what's too much risk and not enough benefit. Yeah, I, I think that pool and weed eater bowl was the peak of those naming deals <laughs> because that's the one we all come back to as sort of retail or something. I think Maryland played in it one year, right? That's why I remember. But yeah, Shreveport, Louisiana, the pool and weed eater bowl. Well, I remember Illinois playing in the craft fight hunger bowl. I mean, there's. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a that's a great little side business. <laughs> okay, Manish. So number three and three A really resonate with what's happening, big picture society, especially post COVID. This idea of self care clearly resonates with a very prevalent 
media narrative. Yep. At number two on the list, I've got a pair of brothers that we could almost say are the opposite of what was number three on the list, and that is Jake and Logan Paul. Now, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that you're all that familiar with them. You sort of indicated you weren't. I, 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 I subsequently, first of all, I'm very happy that I'm not familiar with them, yeah. but okay. I, I subsequently did some research after you mentioned them, so I do know who they are now. Okay, so Jake and Logan Paul are a couple of guys that came out of YouTube fame, hit the gym, got trained up to be boxers, and are the most successful pay-per-view athletes in the world over the last year or two. And I don't think it's even close. I remember when Mike Tyson had his Leagues of Legend fight against, um, was it Roy Jones Jr. last year? I was thinking, this is, this is a great idea that he'll be yeah. able to bring back some of these older boxers. They can sort of the novelty, there's a nostalgia that make big money. But no, it was really the Paul brothers that had the new model. And, you know, I think it's Jake Paul has a fight with uh, Tommy Fury, not T- Tyson Fury's brother, Tommy Fury in about a, in just a few days from now. But what these guys have done is that they've reinvented, in my mind, and again, everyone pushes back on this one. I think they've reinvented it. They've brought back spectacle. Their fights have musical acts. They've always got Snoop Dogg. It's chaos. It's novelty. It doesn't make any sense. Well, uh, look, actually, um, I will say this, uh, and this might this might sound like I actually don't think three number three number two are that different in some dimensions, and I'll explain why. Like, uh, but I do think, like, sadly, or at least to me, sadly, uh, I think the, the the Paul brothers, right? Sorry, it's Paul, right? Jake Paul yep. and and. and, and not Logan Thomas, but Logan Paul. Um, there is, uh, they in some ways represent a lot of what I think people care about, especially uh, younger folks when it comes to to, to sports. Because if, if you think about sports and entertainment kind of being a bit intertwined, right? And you think about the way people consume media, right? So the way you're consuming media combined with like the focus on the individual, I think these brothers have figured it out, right? Like it's entertainment. It's like, let me take aspects of wrestling, right? So the and again, I, I could be wrong, but I think one of the brothers is not even that good of a fighter, right? Like his, uh, if I remember correctly, like the actual, like the older one, right? Kind of like not. They, they're both on. I mean, they both very carefully selected opponents. Yes, right. So something about think about this, right? Like compared to like the Jordan and Brady we were just talking about, right? Like where you're amazing at your sport, right? These guys, in my opinion, are amazing at I- entertainment, right? And what they've done is they've figured out a great way to combine sports with entertainment and take use of the, like what's amazing about it is I don't even need to belong to, like think about the, I mean, the dynamics of the future of sports. I can, I've created, they've sort of created this value all by themselves in some ways, right? They haven't, they haven't had to align with the NFL or the NHL or some big league to do it, uh, but use uh, social media and YouTube to really create these powerful brands that are entertaining and have aspects of sports attached to it. Right. I think it's like, I, I mean, in some ways, I think this is the future of, sports what they're doing and well so- and to add to that right you know one of the things that i loved when the fight with i think it was logan paul that took on mayweather and again i apologize i get the names confused it is logan, it is logan. it's the older brother's logan i think he fought uh, when logan fought mayweather one of the things they put on the tail of the tape was social media follow yeah okay and you think about how great that is because what is social media following it might be the best indicator of let's call it brand equity, there can be, right? 
that is the audience. And so Logan Paul comes in with more fans than Floyd yeah. Mayweather. But and I mean, look, uh, I know you're much more of a boxer, uh, and 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 as folks probably know that you're you're pretty deep in the fighting space. But I, I like I saw some clips of that Mayweather fight, and objectively, it was from a boxing perspective a pretty bad fight. Right? I didn't I didn't think of it as like being particularly entertaining, and I know there was a, like it's so 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 to the point where like I don't think people who are watching it were necessarily the boxing aficionados, right? They were people who were there for spectacle. And that's where you're really going to get the larger uh, following, right? The, the, you're not going to, if you're trying to mine, like the, to your point, like the people like who might be more into like former boxing names or just more people who appreciate the sport, that's a much smaller group, right? But if you're looking for people who like the spectacle, like the individual storylines, then well, this is perfect. Well, and here's a question that I have in all this. So Jake and Logan Paul have made great headway in this. Like I said, they're the dominant pay-per-view act at the moment. It's not going to go on forever, right? How many times are people going to tune in for these novelty fights? What if Jake Paul gets his, you know, gets finished in a, in a, in half a round by Tommy Fury, then in some ways the, the, the gig is up. But what I think they've done is they've laid the groundwork for what happens in, and going back to your point about, this is not great fighting. I mean, what, what's the ratio here? Is this 10% boxing, 90% yeah. entertainment? What, yeah. is the right, what is the right ratio? And I think 2.0 in this space is going to have a different ratio of greatness yeah. to entertainment. Well, I think what uh, one, and again, I, I, I don't know this as deeply as you do, so feel free to correct me, but I'll give you an example that I thought of just now as you were talking, Ronda Rousey, right? I, I again, someone doesn't follow fighting, knew that name, and I, the reason I knew is like, Besides her being female, she won a lot, right? And then as soon as she started losing, I would argue people don't really, that spectacle is gone, right? She tried to do some stuff in acting, and I know she started to diversify, but I think to your point, if they want to sustain it, it's almost like they have to make it less about like boxing, right? Boxing is one avenue of their, or fighting is one avenue of their entertainment, but they've got to invent other dimensions, right? And in order to, because you're right, I don't think you can sustain excellence in that space, right? So, um I'm sure they're already thinking about, it, but that's why it's like the brand is not fighting. The brand is the Paul brothers, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really the, I don't know what the right ratios are, but like, I think it can't be the fighting because that's not really what people are coming to see. Time out. Okay. We got to do a quick update based on some recent developments in the world of Jake, well, Jake and Logan Paul, but specifically Jake Paul. Okay. So Obviously, the big thing that has happened since we, we taped the episode is that Paul has defeated Woodley by knockout. So the rematch of the, the fight over the summer has now ended with Paul with a decisive victory and a legitimate knockout. Well, or, you know, let's get back to the idea of whether it's legitimate in just a second. So first off, got to start with something of an oops. I had been unaware that Tommy Fury had been pulled from the fight and that uh, Tyrone Woodley had been substituted back in. Now, you know, Tommy Fury as the opponent was something interesting because Tommy Fury is a actual professional boxer. I, of, of, of whatever quality, I'm not going to claim to know, but he is, you know, something different from everything that Jake Paul has faced previously. Okay, so after the fight, you know, so... <coughs> So, like I said, Paul won after the fight. Uh, 
the showmanship continued, the spectacle continued. Uh, Paul called out Dana White and the UFC. I think the response was about what you'd expect. I think the phrase they would use is they, they, the folks over at the UFC, the UFC fighters clapped back. I, I saw one quote this morning that, that this given fighter uh, either fights for money or fights the best and telling Paul he is neither. Now, and again, it's an interesting phenomena to watch in terms of the media. Paul says something that seemed fairly outlandish. Legitimate fighters swing back, at least with the appearance of trying to put this guy in his place. Is any of it real? You know, frankly, we may never actually know. Could we see a Jake Paul appearance in the UFC? Absolutely possible. Could we see Jake Paul appearing in some capacity on a UFC uh, UFC fight? Absolutely. It's, it's almost the shades of the old WWF, which became the WWE. Okay, so then, but then the real question becomes, you know, where, where does this go from here? Are we reaching the limit of this? Will audiences eventually tire? And I don't know what the latest pay-per-view numbers are. Are the pay-per-view numbers going to drop off over time as we have these essentially exhibition boxing matches that have no bearing on the legitimate sport of boxing? Um, a lot of social media, reading various places, Twitter, Instagram, thinks that these fights are rigged. And again, you know, it's kind of an interesting point. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. It's, again, something we'll never really know. You know, these are not legitimate in the sense of they're not sanctioned professional boxing matches. They are exhibitions, and so they may well be scripted. Okay, so at this point, though, Paul is undefeated, but the important thing is, you know, the hype builds, got a lot of fans on the in the social media space, but he's yet to fight a professional boxer or even an accomplished amateur boxer. It's not to say that he doesn't know what he's doing. I suspect he is very well trained. I suspect in terms of his preparation for his boxing career, it is essentially a full-time job. He probably has world-class coaches, world-class facilities, and he is definitely putting in the time. So the real question at this point, and again, this goes to the discussion that we we were having in terms of this reimagining or this reinvention of sports marketing. What is the end game in all of this? Time back in. Right. Okay. At number one on the list, Manish. And again, I, 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 almost, I almost anticipate a little pushback on this one. I've got Enos Cantor Freedom. And... I used the word inevitable earlier in the programming, but my notes on Cantor or Freedom, I've written he was the in inevitable next step of the politicization of sports. It was something that almost had to happen. And, and so Cantor has now, you know, inserted himself. And again, you know what? Something that's always kind of tough doing this show and with how much politics is involved in sports, is sometimes you find yourself towing a line between talking about, you know, because like an athlete or an individual may have some deeply held beliefs, totally legitimate. The other side yeah. will instantly interpret that as opportunistic and hypocritical. And so with everything the NBA had 
as the NBA moved towards a deeper relationship with China and it blew up based on Daryl Morey's tweet and LeBron got involved, there was an opportunity for someone to punch back, for someone to insert themselves. And Cantor is now the face of, it's actually kind of hard to characterize what he's the face of. He's the face of the anti-authoritarian regimes. He's opposed to China, Turkey, Venezuela last week. He takes on LeBron James, calls him out on his vaccine stance. He wears shoes that go after Nike and Jordan. He recently called out Jeremy Lin. Lin. And so Cantor is, you know, as sports becomes more politicized, new opportunities are created. People are going to fill those opportunities. Yeah, no, I, look, uh, (laughs) um, I find Cantor to be fascinating uh, in the sense that you know, especially as he challenges a little bit of, uh, in some ways, let's let's take LeBron and Cantor, right, as an example. I think it's an interesting one. Uh, there is, you know, LeBron is, a, as you mentioned, a brand, but that brand is has connections, as you said, Nike, right? There's entertainment. There's other things that HBO that he's also right, attached to. And so, and so then it becomes like when issues like things in China come up, right, whether it's the treatment of ethnic minorities, whether it's anything else that, that's going on, uh, how does, you know, LeBron has trouble and almost wants to avoid that area, right? Because he has to navigate the Nike money, right, with politics. So he can be, he can be like, you know, certain certain issues, especially domestic ones, he can have a little bit more of a stance as long as it goes out along well with corporate, right? Like Nike's great with Black Lives Matters. It's not, it's not hard for LeBron to sort of like, you know, it's hard, but it's a little easier for him to speak out there, potentially less risk to him than there is uh, in what's happening in China. So to me, Cantor is someone who like, all that stuff doesn't matter, right? He's not attached to the, he really is a true, in my opinion, believer, right? Uh, in these things. And, and by the way, I mean, I think if you look at the history, he's thought this way long before a lot of these opportunities came up, right? He's been pretty consistent in his sort of speaking out for originally at the Turkish government, but in general against authoritarian uh, regimes, right? And so I find him fascinating because it's someone who I think is motivated very authentically with what he believes, but the way he sort of clashes with other athletes who want to appear like they're authentic to themselves, but really do have these people in the background that say, hey, maybe don't talk about that because of this endorsement or this relationship. So what I think will be interesting going forward is how much sort of coverage he gets and how confrontational he continues to be, right? The thing I'm thing I'm worried about him is like, you know, the powers that be not really giving him, like, of course he has Twitter and other social media as a platform, but like how much people sort of pick up on what he's doing. I mean, here's an example, Colin Kaepernick, right? Uh, versus uh, Cantor. I would argue one of the big differences in their platforms is that uh, Cantor is focused more internationally, right? In the stuff that he believes. And I think that's an interesting thing about America. And again, I, I say this as an American, so I'm not trying to say this as a negative thing about my country, but we we don't really give a shit about what happens around the world as much as we do here. In fact, we're a lot less informed than most countries about international events. So I think what will be interesting is how much Cantor can get this stuff to resonate with an American audience, right? Uh, because I think that will be the, he, he might be one of those people that people know more about worldwide than they do in the U.S. Okay, and I'll, I think that's, I think that's very well said. I'll want I'll add one real quick aspect to that though. And this is why this is what cemented Cantor's position at the top of the list. I think everything you said is true. I think he's authentic. Look, I, I think LeBron's beliefs are authentic. I think Cantor's beliefs are authentic. 
Cantor announced his name change on Fox News on Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Is there an avenue that would cause less of a problem that he could have chosen? Yeah. <laughs> Almost anywhere else. Okay, and, and maybe that's maybe that's why we, we we can leave it there because we're actually going to do a deeper dive on the Enos Cantor story on on the, on the next episode. So we'll leave it here again. Thank you a ton, Manish Tripathi. Oh, it, was, it was great being here. Thank you so much, Michael.